Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with Paul John Roach, Minister of Unity Church of Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas. Discover the universal principles present in all the world's religions and take an incredible journey to new understanding. Now, here's your host, Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm Paul John Roach, coming to you from a, a gray day, actually, in Fort Worth, Texas, but anything but gray in the studio, because we have a fascinating show coming up. I welcome two professors from Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, to discuss their uh, just-published book of essays and perspectives on Shizaki Endo's classic novel silence it's called approaching silence mark w dennis is associate professor of east asian religions and has lived in japan and india for for eight years darren jn middleton is professor of literature and theology and the author of three books including uh, theology after reading uh, christian imagination and the power of fiction he's also the author of a new book on the art of rastafari which will be the subject of next week's show so uh, exciting to welcome mark and darren to today's show welcome guys good afternoon thanks paul you know, I just completed uh, reading Silence, uh, and I also uh, read the um, the Approaching Silence book, and uh, I must admit it's quite a read, isn't it? It has the a sort of a, a spare clarity to it that uh, lies a very a, a deep uh, structure. You know, it's it's um, it's 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 uh, surreptitious in that way. It's, it seems simpler than it really is. This this story. You want to comment yeah, the on novel that? Is a, sorry, yeah, the novel is a really interesting uh, read. Uh, first published in uh, 1966, it's uh, it's just uh, replete with uh, theological and uh, and ethical influences and ideas. And uh, without giving too much away, there's a a wonderful uh, twist in the tale towards the end where the protagonist. Uh, Father Rodriguez has to uh, really think out loud about where his discipleship, um, his Christian discipleship is taking him. It's a fascinating read. Yeah, and I would add, Paul, that um, Darren and I have both taught the novel in our classes, and as you may remember from reading uh, our anthology, one of the chapters is dedicated to teaching the novel. And we have um, discovered that, it, as you're suggesting, it raises all kinds of interesting questions about, as Darren said, discipleship and uh, the nature of, of martyrdom. And one of the 
kind of common themes across the different sections of the book is what is the you know the authentic uh, face or what is what what who is the authentic Jesus and what are his teachings so right exactly um, but yeah it, it, the kind of simple straightforward prose uh, as you suggest is surreptitious in the sense that there's some some really important issues hiding beneath the the prose you know, it, it was uh, received with a, with a certain amount of um, distrust, wasn't it, back in the in the sixties in in Japan, and also with kind of uh, critical silence, at least in 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 the West. And and um, the the themes, you know, are um, difficult to stomach by in a more traditional Christian sense. You know, different different levels of what it means to to embrace Christianity, and of course, that's the the pivotal point in in the novel, isn't it? I'd like one of you to read that that amazing paragraph where um, you know where the climax takes place there on page one seventy one in my edition. We'll talk. We'll we'll read it a little later. Um, but give us the the gist to the basic story, will you? Just just so those sure. people listening can know. Well, what what the heck are we talking about? Okay. Uh, well, the the story is uh, about a Portuguese Jesuit priest, uh, and this is in the early 17th century. And the protagonist is um, a priest named Father Rodriguez, and he uh, had studied at seminary uh, with um, an elder uh, priest named Father Ferreira. And Father Ferreira had been sent to Japan to start a mission there, and. And as some of your listeners may know, uh, in the earliest period of um, uh, the the missions there, they had been quite successful in converting uh, Christians. Um, and uh, the the elder the elder priest uh, Father Ferreira had sent letters back to Portugal, talking about the success he'd had in the mission and and his uh, proselytizing efforts. And then uh, all of the sudden, the the letters that he'd been sending back to Portugal stop. Um, and eventually, uh, rumor filters back to uh, the seminary where the protagonist, Father Rodriguez, is that he may uh, that his mentor, Father Ferreira, may have apostatized, may have given up the faith, um, which was something that he could not imagine. So. Um, he decides to go with two of his fellow seminarians uh, to Japan. Uh, but what had happened was they they went during a period when there was a, just a brutal crackdown uh, on the Christian uh, the Christian missions and the Japanese who had become Christians. Um, there there were a series of of military rulers, um, and one of them was named Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and he became suspicious of. Of kind of the intentions of the missionaries, and so he decided to ban Christianity. And uh, a number of Christians were martyred, and and so there was this this very dark period that starts with his uh, rule. And a number of the Christians go underground; they become what are called the the hidden Christians. So anyway, the much of the story is the younger man, the younger priest, Father Rodriguez, going to Japan with these uh, two fellow seminarians to find out the the truth about what had happened um, to to their mentor. And Darren, what would you 
what would you add to that? I would add that, um, you know, obviously the persecution takes its toll. The, the seminarians that travel with Father Rodriguez, uh, their lives are eventually claimed in a rather uh, brutal and macabre way, and Endo doesn't spare you from, from the, the graphic descriptions there. Um, and um, and then eventually Father Rodriguez himself is 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 captured, and towards the end of of the novel, um, to cut a long story short, uh, he is uh, given a, a dilemma really, and on the surface it looks like a simple kind of utilitarian dilemma. There are a group of these hidden or Kokuri Christians who are uh, in a cell. Um, and they are given uh, or the opportunity of their freedom if uh, Father Rodriguez would uh, step on a fumier. And a fumier is a bronze uh, replica uh, of uh, the Christ. Sometimes it's a bronze replica of uh, Mary, um, since these are Catholic uh, Christians. A uh, bronze replica of Mary um, with the Christ child. And um, Father Rodriguez is asked to trample on the Fumier in a public manner and therefore to apostatize and um, to recant his faith. And he agonizes over this. It looks like a simple dilemma. One man's integrity, I guess, the, his, his faith uh, is, is crushed, but he gets to save uh, a, um, a group of, of fellow Christians, his parishioners, really. And you'd think that this is a simple and a straightforward dilemma. If I uh, give up my faith uh, publicly, if I recant, then uh, then I get to save the lives of these Christians. Um, but Endo is no mere consequentialist. He's not utilitarian. He takes us right into the interiority of this character and lets us know that uh, Father Rodriguez really does feel in a kind of an acute pain. He has his own uh, agony in the garden, as it were, as his own Gethsemane, his own uh, Golgotha, where he uh, experiences this sense of distance from God, this estrangement from God, this, this silence of God, if you will, silence, yeah. hence the title as some have suggested. And, and then towards the end, as he is brought out and uh, by the, uh, the authorities and asked to trample on the Fumier, uh, Endo uh, takes us right to the heart of, of, of the book, when in some mystical fashion, Father Rodriguez kind of hears uh, the Fumier speak to him in this kind of uh, unusual uh, manner. And if I, if I can, I'd, I'd like to read that passage. Since you yeah, let's read it. the passage I referred to earlier, sort of uh, the climactic one there. The climactic passage, which, which is really uh, God through Christ in the form of this Fumier breaking the, the kind of agonizing silence which, which uh, Father Rodriguez has had to experience up to this point. So, so let me read it. The priest raises his foot. In it he feels a dull, heavy pain. This is no mere formality. He will now trample on what he has considered the most beautiful thing in his life, on what he has believed most pure, on what is filled with the ideals and the dreams of man, how his foot aches. And then the Christ in bronze speaks to the priest. Trample, trample. I more than anyone know of the pain in your foot. Trample. It was to be trampled on by men that I was born into this world. It was to share men's pain that I carried my cross. The priest placed his foot on the fumier. Dawn broke, and far in the distance, the cock crew.
Yeah, it's a powerful paragraph, isn't it? It's, uh, it's again, it's got a, a spare elegance to it that, that, uh, bespeaks its, its, uh, amazing power. And of course, there's so many references going on there because, th- uh, throughout the book, um, Endo makes references to the, the dawn coming up and, and a cock crowing. So this isn't the first time that that's happened in the novel. But then if we're Christians and the cock's crowing, we're going to be aware of the, you know, the betrayal of Peter and, and all kinds of other resonances like that. Um, plus the idea of the cock, you know, being a symbol of spirit. So in a sense, he'd, he'd broken through from a, you know, a, a limited understanding, a conceptual understanding perhaps of, of martyrdom and and uh, Christian faith in, into, like you said, a more a more mystical understanding, where where the the cock of spirit, the, the this the mystical interiority of it, it, it speaks to him. Now, it seems to me like the first five chapters, you know, it's, it's on a trajectory, isn't it? Um, you know, that Rodriguez is, is kind of in charge. It's it's spoken in the first person. And then as soon as he's arrested, everything changes. You know, it goes into the third person. Now he's known as the priest. And and after this moment, uh, he disappears even more, you know, becomes um, uh, a, a victim, if you like, of, of the Japanese. He's, he's put under arrest for the rest of his life. And, and so it's... Uh, this, this idea of kenosis or whatever, emptying himself, so it becomes less and less the the, the father, uh, and and more and more of this. Um, we're not sure what, and you, you reference that in your book about you know what is it that's coming here? How can we pin it down? Because the silence is not just about the silence of God; it's also Father Rodriguez being uh, silenced. Finally, isn't it? His ego, in a way. Is silenced. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's, um, in fact, actually one of the one of the best essays. I think one of the strongest essays in our volume, and we were quite lucky to secure his services. Is the uh, is the essay by Van Gessel, who's arguably mm-hmm. the uh, the world's uh, leading edge authority on Shusaku Endo. Has translated many of his uh, of his novels and short stories and so on. Van, in in an essay which is really looking at the way in which the novel was received in Japan and then in the West. And, and has all kinds of details on that. It also, in that essay, he also talks about how uh, there is this shift in the in the kind of point of view or the form of narration. Uh, you're quite right, Paul. Uh, what happens is Rodriguez is so full of the eye that the, the first part of the novel mm-hmm. is in the first person. It's all about his letters that go home and and his descriptions of, of, of the mission field, as it were. And then gradually what happens is there's this shift to a third-person narration. And Van draws this out and ties it, as, as you have done, to the Christian notion of kenosis, which, of course, those, those of us who are biblically literate will recognize uh, is, is there in Philippians chapter 2, the idea that Christ did not consider himself equal uh, with God or, or did not consider that equality with God something to boast about, but emptied himself, ken- the kenosis in the Greek, uh, of all of those divine attributes and became as a servant. There is a sense in which... Uh, um, the spirituality of Rodriguez, I think, is a kind of canotic spirituality. He is someone who is full of ego, that's suggested by the first person narration, who then gets to learn how to empty himself of his ego, and that's suggested by the third person narration and the way in which the circumstances take control of him and force him to lose a lot of his uh, missionary zeal and maybe his missionary imperialism. He loses some of that, evacuates it, gives it up, pours it out, um, empties himself of it. 
to the point where he, he, he learns how to serve, albeit in a painful way, his parishioners by trampling on the fumier. Uh, and that passage that I just read is, is, is Christ's mystical voice speaking to Rodriguez and reminding him that he too emptied himself and that if spirituality is about imitating your God, then Rodriguez must learn how to empty himself too. And, and Paul, let me just add on that passage, um, that has, uh, Darren in his essay and some of the other essayists have talked, you know, about the, the significance of that and what the voice that, what is the voice that he hears. But it's also been a, a really interesting passage to work with, uh, in our classes. I have taught the novel in, uh, a couple different settings and students, especially those who have come out of various Christian traditions find this passage uh, both fascinating and up for for debate. What is what is the uh, what what does the the priest hear? And and Darren in his his essay uses uh, mediated immediacy, and maybe he can speak to that in in just a minute. Um, but then whether whether this act is is a representative of what they understand to be authentic uh, the authentic teachings of of Jesus. And just one other point on this uh, movement from the first person to the third person. One of the other things that a number of the essayists take up is that uh, at the towards the end, uh, Rodriguez is given a Japanese name, Okada Sanemon, uh, which is similar to uh, his his mentor, Father Ferrer, had also uh, been given a Japanese name and and a, and a Japanese uh, wife. So you and and uh, you see this kind of sublimation of his of his ego. In fact, in in my essay, I talk about how he has this. He goes to Japan with this, um, you know, glorious notion of martyrdom, and then he sees how he sees the deaths of of many Japanese and um, Japanese converts, and how ugly that is. And so his his notion of of martyrdom itself changes uh, over time, and that ties into this movement from the first to the third person, and then. Uh, to this, to getting this this Japanese identity, you know, and, and I think Endo leaves it open, doesn't he? Because it could be a, um, a a weak, cowardly act too. You know, he's saving his own skin by doing this, and um, and and his rest of his life is kind of anticlimactic as as a result. Or you could look at it in so, as a more um, Bodhisattva way, you know, that he's actually uh, giving uh, the ultimate compassionate uh, sacrifice there in, in doing this, you know, ruining all his um, well-constructed, you know, fatherhood in, 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 to, to be to be kind, and and so there's the resonances with um, with with Eastern theology as well, isn't it? It's all tied up in that. Yeah, and, and, and in my essay and then one of the other contributors, uh, Elizabeth Cameron Galbraith, talk about the, the Bodhisattva. Nice. And one of the things that I mention in that context in my essay is, um, I quote from a scholar who did not contribute to the essay but has written about silence, and he talks about um, what are what is are, are there different kinds of martyrdom within Christianity, and so there's the you know giving up the body is one type of of martyrdom, but then there's the the sacrifice of one's moral integrity, um, which is what what it, I interpret to be going on, and as as you've suggested, Paul, the you know the traditional vow of the Bodhisattva is to 
to give up everything to save uh, to save other sentient beings. And so I right. think that's a uh, from the from the perspective of, of Buddhist thought, especially from the perspective of the Bodhisattva. That's a that's a, a powerful insight. Yes. All right, folks, I'm with a couple of wonderful professors here, uh, Darren Middleton, Mark Dennis. We're discussing uh, the great Japanese novel, Silence. We're going to the break, but we'll be back in two minutes. Uh, and listen to these messages from Unity and come on right back with us. See you, see you then. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Have you seen Unity Magazine lately? There's a new editor, a fresh new look, and now Unity Magazine has gone digital. Print subscribers, you can access Unity Magazine for free from your computer or mobile device. Non-subscribers can buy single digital issues through Google Play, Amazon, and the Apple Store. Sign up at our website and let Unity Magazine become your favorite digital resource for spirituality and inspiration. To learn more, visit unitymagazine.org slash digital. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. Folks, if you haven't read it before, I suggest you go get a copy. Uh, It's called Silence by Shujaku Endo. It's considered to be one of the best, greatest novels of the 20th century coming out of Japan. Graham Greene himself said, in my opinion, one of the finest novels of our time. And that's, that's praise indeed. And, uh, it's, it's great because it's a, a wonderful story. It's very moving. Um, it, it has all the elements of great storytelling within it. 
Um, it, it has torture in it, and we're all fascinated with that in a sick way. Um, but it also has very subtle points to be made about uh, Christianity, um, Eastern religion, and how, how we approach uh, the silence of God. You know, I think it was Auden that said uh, about suffering, and they were never wrong, the old masters, you know, that, that suffering happens while uh, horses are scratching their backsides and plowmen are plowing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in, in this uh, novel also, um, the, the protagonist is constantly seeing that life continues um, endlessly, no matter what the, to- the terrible tortures that are happening, uh, and no matter what his um, moral tendencies are. You know, the the, the, the flies are buzzing, uh, the sea is rising and falling, and we, we see sea a lot, don't we, in the um, uh, in the novel, and uh, it's it's a watery counterpart, you know, the swamp. Um, the sea and swamp seem to figure a lot. And I know some of your contributors have talked about, the, you know, the swamp uh, of Japan and, and its difficulty in, in um, letting the, the root of, of Christianity grow. In, in a more personalized sense, I think we're confronted here, aren't we, by this idea, what, what is my true faith? Is, is my faith following a set of dogmas to the T and, and being maybe, um, you know, ego-filled about that as, the, as Father Rodriguez was early on? Um, or, or is it about, like we said, self-emptying so that, so that I can allow something greater to be in me, even if it con- seemingly contradicts my, my beliefs? And I, I think we're all struggling with that. It's so easy to throw the, the, the moniker of ego onto somebody, isn't it? Um, and, and therefore we've won, you know, while you're coming from ego. Um, but what exactly does that mean? Um, and, you know, what, what, are, what are we meant to do to be weak? And that there's the dark side, um, character that, that sort of, uh, embodies that weakness, right? That, that is, uh, perhaps stronger in, in an ironic sense than the protagonist. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I think this is, uh, um, in my essay, I make the connection between, uh, just to come back to the point you you made a little earlier about Graham Greene, there is a connection between Graham Greene and, and uh, Shisaka Endo, and I think uh, one of one of those connections is actually on the issue of faith and doubt, and I think both Greene and Endo um, really do calibrate this issue quite quite well, quite adroitly, um, because they don't they don't settle for the the customary sort of uh, comfort or the customary kind of dichotomy that faith is good and doubt is bad and that one shouldn't have doubt, one should always have faith and that faith has to be as it were um, uh, at a steady equilibrium throughout one's life that's not how they understand discipleship, neither of them see uh, their own lives uh, as authors as writers, as Christians as uh, um, uh, settled uh, or uh, or safe, uh, they understood uh, themselves to be individuals marked by uh, well. Well, Green himself actually winds up quoting, I think, a, a very long poem by Robert Browning, one of his favourite poets, where he talks about how uh, our lives are um, uh, marked by uh, moments of of doubt, uh, marked by moments of faith, or moments of faith marked by moments of doubt we we we're caught betwixt and between we're kind of liminal in that respect uh sometimes our our, our days are filled with 
with, with faith, sometimes the opposite. Um, we have to learn how to coagulate the two or bring the two together in some way. And so in, in my essay, I talk about how Green and uh, Shusako Endo, in their characters, in their books, actually talk their protagonists are um, individuals who understand faith to be a kind of troubled commitment. It's not, it's not easy for them. Discipleship is a very rocky and a very costly road to travel down. And you sense that with Father Rodriguez right through to the very end. I mean, uh, a lot of wind is taken out of his sails, as it were, by the, the persecution that he has to witness and the suffering that he endures. But um, his is, is nonetheless a kind of a faith. I, th I think it's a canotic faith, a, a self-giving uh, faith at the end, but strangely or oddly, that kind of sustains him uh, and keeps him alive, as it does many of Green's characters. I think that's why they were they were um, quite fond of each other and fond of one another's books. And one of the yeah. fun things for me to do was actually to go and do some archival research and look at some of the letters or the correspondence. Oh, right. uh -huh. And there's quite a, quite a lot of it, isn't there? There is, and a lot of it is here in the United States. In fact, just about uh, three hours down the road here in uh, in Austin, Texas, and then up in uh, in Boston and Georgetown in Washington D.C. So uh, you can see the admiration they had for one another and for uh, and for their books. You know, the, uh, good case in point. But you know, there is a life affirming quality in both writers. I think, in spite of all the. Um, the horrors and and the fascination with sin and and and, and dirtiness and, and 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 you know drunkenness, especially in green, of course. Uh, but there's a lot of sake being drunk in in um, in silence <laughs> too uh, by some of the yeah. characters. Uh, but you know, this this idea of uh, you know in your essay you talk about God's wide mercy and and what's what's life affirming for me are the descriptions by. The protagonist, you know, of and then, and then the narrator of the scenes in in Japan, even even though it's unbearably hot, etc. There, there's a a beauty that he describes, you know, and even when he's hearing the moans of people being tortured, uh, there's there's a tree and there's turtle doves and owls uh, cooing and and calling to each other, and and there's the the colours of the dawn, and and there's a sense of the cyclic nature of everything that seems to be very pleasing to him um you know and he even breaks into laughter doesn't he at moments in the in the novel you know and it, it's uh, counterbalanced by the laughter of the guards which is more cruel laughter at someone when his laughter is the the laughter of the absurdity of things and yet they're they're inherent divine order and rightness so for me that that's a that's the the, the, the um, redeeming power of the book for me is, is that sense of all, all is well, even in the midst of, uh, of suffering. Yeah, and one of one of the essayists, Jacqueline Bussey, talks about the has a, a chapter devoted specifically to laughter at what would seem to be mm -hmm. kind of paradoxical moments. Right, uh, and she uses the notion the notion of the hidden transcript and and talks about how how laughter is is a way that Rodriguez and others use to kind of overcome this um, this suffering that they experience. One of the the other things I would add is. 
we have another essayist, Francis uh, McCormick, who talks about the uh, the multivalence or the many meanings of of water. Water is, you know, I think as you were suggesting, Paul, it's something that that gives relief in the heat, but it's also, uh, for example, in the ocean, it's the site where uh, two of the the, hi- the hidden Christians were um, were martyred, mm-hmm. um, and so the, it opens up uh, a lot of interesting questions about how nature more broadly uh, appears in in the novel. And then you had mentioned this this character. Um, there's uh, one of the other central characters. One of the, or one of the central relationships is between Father Rodriguez and his mentor, Father Ferreira. But one of the other important relationships is this uh, Japanese uh, man uh, who they meet um, on the in I think it's in Hong Kong. Or is that correct? Yeah, Macau in Macau. In Macau, yeah, in in Macau, and um, he's he's a uh, he's duplicitous. He's a drunk. Um, he he's very secretive, but he plays this quite important role in in the novel. And a number of our essayists, uh, including me, uh, talk at length about uh, the significance of this character for the novel more broadly, but also for how Rodriguez, Father Rodriguez, comes to kind of understand what are the authentic teachings uh, of Jesus. He he sees this man who's despicable, he smells, uh, he's drunk, he he betrays the priest, he apostatize, uh, apostatizes over and over again, he steps on the fumier, uh, yet uh, Rodriguez uh, has to deal with him. And so it's really an interesting, and in my essay I talk about how he he sees the suffering in this character um, and how that's kind of transformative for him as he as he thinks about um, as he tries to tame his his own ego. Right. There's, there's sort of resonances with Caliban, isn't there, from the Tempest? Sometimes, you know, that this this creature, however uh, debased he is, you know, can still delight in something higher. He knows that, and he keeps coming to the priest, even right at the end of the book. Uh, where the priest is no longer a father because he keeps coming back for, for absolution, uh, you know, to, for, to say penance. And, and, uh, so there's, there's that yearning within the, even the blackest part of our beings, I guess, for, for light, you know, to hear the twangling sounds of the, of something higher than ourselves. I think that's actually what makes, uh, you know, novelists like Graham Greene and Shusaka Endo uh, really quite compelling, um, uh, certainly for Christian readers, and, and it's no no uh, surprise to me that their books are often listed on, uh, you know, the top 100 spiritual books of the last century or something like that. Right. Um, both of them, in a sense, are novelists of sin, uh, as you, um, you know, suggested a little earlier, in, in the sense that they, there's always uh, kind of... Uh, uh, a darkness to the characters, and one thinks of Pinky and Brighton Rock, who's just a symbol of uh, of wanton malevolence, uh, which was brought out rather well in um, the recent uh, remake uh, of that, starring um, and Helen Mirren and one or two others. Uh, really great film, great book, and you see that also in Kichijiro. He's he's obviously a very weak-willed uh, individual. He's easily uh, corruptible and corrupted, and he is a great symbol of betrayal he's he's a judas figure in many ways and um and i think what what 
Endo wants us to understand, if you just set aside to, to, for one minute, his own self-identification with Kichijiro and therefore his own sense that he's a person of, who's, who's betrayed his faith in many ways throughout his life. If you just set that aside to one moment, just think about it. Um, what, what I think Endo is trying to suggest to us is that um, there's, there's, we have to rethink our soteriology or our theology of salvation if we're Christians. Christ did not die simply for the, for the good and the beautiful and for those who are ethically strong-willed. He came for the weak-willed and for those who are corrupt. He came for those who are uh, a bit like Judas, actually. And whereas history has treated the Judas character, if one thinks of one's Dante, um, in a really malevolent way, kind of dispatching him to the ninth circle where he's chewed upon perpetually by uh, Lucifer, who's the arch-betrayer, uh, in some way like uh, like Nikos Kazantzakis uh, in The Last Temptation of Christ. Endo reclaims the Judas figure and uh, suggests that there's more of, of Judas in us than we are sometimes want to admit. Right, yeah. And it, it's the, the, you know, the counterbalance between you know, the more intellectual, cerebral um, father of Rodriguez, isn't it? And, and this more earthy, instinctual part of ourselves that, that there's this endless, uh, you know, battle back and forth. And yet we must integrate both in some sense to get this this epiphany, you know, which, which I see uh, um, that pivotal moment, you know, that you read earlier as, as a kind of epiphany. I know um, some more traditional Catholic... Uh, editors and, and writers, and you, you quote some in your book, uh, you know, see it as a, as a failure, that the, the God should not have spoken at that time, that it's, it's, a, it's a weak point in the, in the book, whereas others would say, oh, no, that's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's its, uh, its high point. So um, I, can, I guess I can see both ways, that it is a failure of nerve, in a way, by both the, the priest and, and the author, isn't it, or isn't it? Yes, yeah, some, some of our some of our students. Mark alluded earlier to uh, teaching uh, silence, and we we both sort of uh, forged our friendship uh, for lots of different reasons. One of them, we we realized really early on that Mark and I teach this novel in our classes, different classes. One on Jesus in fiction and film. That's my class, and then Mark in his classes in in East Asian religions. And the students, you know, in both classes respond. Um, in, in very passionate ways to the figure of Rodriguez, and, and not all of them agree that he did the right thing or does yeah. the right thing. They see him as rather weak-willed and as someone who's betrayed Christ, and that's not really uh, Christ who speaks from the fumier. He's just imagining it. And then, of course, right. when in, as, as scholars, we try to, t- to honor that um, perspective. Our, our lead-off hitter, if you will, just to use a baseball analogy, is... Uh, um, a scholar by the name of Kevin Doak, who teaches up at Georgetown, who has uh, the first essay in our volume, who basically says, you know, this idea that Christ uh, speaks to uh, Rodriguez from the Fumier is a very Protestant idea. It's, it's no, no self-respecting or traditional Catholic would acknowledge this because Christ oh. is the, or the church is the mystical body of Christ, and, and therefore to go against the church and its teachings would be to, to go against uh, 
Christ in a way or after a fashion. And so those who would interpret the, the, the Fumier scene that I read a little earlier as somehow Christ speaking rather mystically to, to Father Rodriguez, they're, they're probably bringing a, a Protestant lens through which to view this, this novel, and that's somewhat problematic for scholars like, like Kevin. And, um, you know, while, while I might have my own sort of uh, response to that, I think it's an extremely uh, strong argument that Kevin makes, and it, it gives a lot of food for thought. And, well, and while I, I, think, I Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, let me just read, I have just a passage from Kevin Doak's essay that's, that's really quite interesting and illustrates his point. And, and he says, given such problems with any separation in a physical act um, of the language of the body and the language of the mind, a Catholic reading of this pivotal scene will raise the likelihood that the image Rodriguez saw was not Christ, but rather Satan taking on the appearance of Christ right. to bring about the priest's downfall. And, right. and then he goes on to elaborate uh, that. And it's fascinating not only to hear the the ways in which our students interpret this scene, but as, as Darren was suggesting, the, the various scholars who contributed to the volume, uh, many of them, not all of them, but many of them touch on, on that scene and, and offer their, their interpretations, and they're, they're widely varied, so it, it, it makes for interesting reading. Yeah, it certainly does, and you know, in, in uh, it, to sort of speak against uh, what Kevin Doak's saying, and I would suggest that so, so many um, you know Catholic mystics for, of, over the last seven centuries have done exactly that. You know, risk being labelled a satanic um, in order to make that breakthrough. And one of the great breakthrough um, mystics, of course, is Meister Eckhart himself. And uh, but I'm thinking of more modern ones too, like uh, Thomas. Merton and his embrace of, uh, of Buddhism, um, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, tr- in a more traditional sense, it's treading on, on very thin ice, uh, and yet for many of us, you know, uh, redeemed the, the old teachings that were unpalatable and, and made you look again at the, um, the Catholic tradition in, in a more... Um, embracing encouraging light but you know that's my viewpoint I'm, i didn't get to write an essay so i i, I can just <laughs> mouth mouth off over the over the radio um well, I'm, I'm with uh, i'm with mark dennis i know they want to respond to that they're gonna to have to wait for the break to be over um mark dennis and darren middleton two wonderful professors at texas christian university talking about their book approaching silence new perspectives on endo's classic novel silence Let's take a break, listen to these messages, and we'll be right back. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. 
Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Now back to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to the third segment of our show today. We're talking about the, the great novel Silence and the uh, book of essays that have been edited by professors Mark Dennis and Darren Middleton on that uh, novel called Approaching Silence. So we've covered a lot of ground so far. There's so much more to cover. Um, much of it is, is quite academic. Much of it is, is very fascinating nuances on, on our own approaches to our, our spiritual lives. And uh, we, we mentioned uh, in in last uh, segment just a little bit about uh, you know other kinds of, of Catholic uh, theology particularly uh, Thomas Merton and, and B. Griffiths so I know you wanted to just mention something about that uh, Mark Right Paul yes I, I wanted to mention one of our essayists her name is uh, Crystal uh, Whelan uh, she has an essay that's devoted to looking or trying to situate uh, Endo's work within kind of a uh, after the Second Vatican Council, and so she talks about B. Griffiths, Thomas Merton, and some other important figures who are part of this this movement. And her her basic argument is that to understand uh, Endo's literary work, we have to kind of place his uh, silence in his other work uh, within what she says is the great trans- transformative moment in the history of the Catholic Church, which occurs with the uh, the Second Vatican Council. So that's I just wanted to mention uh, her yeah. essay, which is quite interesting yeah yeah um i I want to talk about um you know martin scorsese and his um upcoming film on the subject of uh of silence and which is i'm looking forward to that greatly because i admire him um i can't stand the last temptation of uh of christ for some reason i don't know why but uh, this is the only movie that i can't stomach um but but um but but that still doesn't put me off this this new one that's coming out. Um, but uh, Scorsese's good at turning uh, blue eyes dark brown, isn't he? Of of seeing the 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 dark in things, um, and uh, his whole career has been based on on anti heroes, if you like. Um, so talk about that. I know he wrote a lovely afterword. Uh, describing the uh, the artistic process, uh, uh, you know, the cinema, cinematic process of, uh, you know, the most important thing is to, to leave things out or not said, the, sil- the silence in that regard. Um, a bit like Miles Davis saying the most important part of the music w- were the notes that weren't weren't played. Um, and and that's, that's another uh, fascinating meaning for silence, I think. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting way of approaching silence. I think, um, so, uh, you know, the, the film version of the novel makes perfect sense to me as someone who's tracked Scorsese's career and as someone who, um, you know, cut his academic teeth, uh, myself, that is, uh, on uh, Nikos Kazantzakis' The Last Temptation of Christ. I'm sorry, yeah. you just like the movie. Oh, I, I don't know why I do. I just... I'll have to try and persuade you otherwise. And I'm going to join him. <laughs> I, uh, I, a substantial part of my uh, University of Glasgow doctorate was devoted to unpacking many of the theological ideas, a lot of them quite mystical, uh, behind The Last Temptation of Christ. And then in, in 2005, which was the 50th anniversary of the publication in Greek of that novel, I edited a collection of essays uh, on The Last Temptation of Christ, and Martin Scorsese was gracious enough to uh, um, step aside from his filmmaking schedule and to write... Uh, uh, um, a contribution or to offer a contribution to that book I you know was bold and brassy enough and with Mark's approval I went back to Martin Scorsese and asked him to contribute something to this plan volume and he was very kind to do so um, he's uh, making the film as we speak in Taiwan and um, starring Liam Neeson among others and it should be out later on this year and is a possible sort of Oscar contender so we we hope that our book will sort of ride in on that on, on the wave of, uh, of affirmation that will accompany the movie. Um, that be awesome? You know, obviously, I think the, the key figure here in connecting um, uh, Endo and, and, and The Last Temptation of Christ is, is the figure of Kichijiro, because if, yeah. if, if one is familiar with The Last Temptation of Christ, then the Judas there is a kind of co-redemptor. There's a lovely moment where Jesus... Um, asks Judas to betray him and in the novel and uh, Judas says I really can't do it if the roles were reversed would, would you be able to do it and that's when Jesus says to him in the novel no that's why God gave me the easier task and you get the sense that uh, betrayal is its own form of loyalty it's, it's an odd notion of course that a vice might be a virtue um, but uh, Endo plays with something very similar with the figure of Kichijiro and I fully expect that uh, our our cinematic eye will um, look at uh, Father Rodriguez in the film, but we'll also have to keep another eye on um, Kichijiro because Scorsese's going to make him, uh, I can only imagine, a very rich and satisfying uh, character in his unsatisfactoriness, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yes, yeah, I just hope he doesn't uh, overwhelm the movie by making him the the main character, you know, and, and, and not giving due due. Uh, wait to the to the other characters. I don't know. We'll 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 see. And I'm going to promise. I'm going to watch that uh, that movie again uh, and try it for the seventh time to see if I can stomach it. Um, but maybe it's about Kazantzakis or whatever. Because I, I Zorba the Greek, I could never finish either. So maybe maybe it's about the uh, the author rather than than Scorsese. Um, so. Uh, we talked about um, laughter, the sea, the ordinariness of suffering. Um, let's bring it home to, you know, what, what is relevant to us today, because we like to talk about that on the show. This is practical spirituality, uh, the unity way of thinking. So um, how, how does this inform us? How has it informed your lives, not just as academics, but, um, you know, as, as people practicing? Because I know you are both uh, practicing um in, in your in your respective traditions um, right yeah I mean I wish I could take credit for sort of finding this book all by myself but I'm gonna have to give that credit to my wife she was um, ah. she's an American 
historian here at TCU, and um, in the mid-1990s, she put me onto silence and uh, pitched it to me, really, as a kind of a cross-cultural encounter of the imaginative kind, and that, that kind of phrase and that kind of way of looking at silence has stuck with me ever since. And it, it strikes me it's, it's a wonderful novel to teach in a, in, and to learn from in a number of different contexts. Um, probably the most important one for me is we, we, you know, I speak as a Catholic Christian and, uh, you know, we find ourselves at an unprecedented time in Christian history where the, um, uh, the pendulum has swung out of the West, as it were, and into what's now referred to as the, the, uh, the global South, the pendulum of power, that is. Um, and we are seeing that the future of Christianity uh, really lies with those global South Christians. So I think looking at uh, Christianity and the way it functions in so-called non-Christian environments, in those global South environments, in those non-Western contexts, is really kind of fascinating to me. And, of course, you could do this in lots of ways. You could look at the growth of Pentecostal Christianity in Africa, and there are certainly novels about that. But here's a, here's a wonderful novel, albeit set in a very different time, uh, which is nonetheless timely because it looks at the way in which um, the gospel finds itself uh, incarnate itself as it must the word must take flesh um, in in a context that's uh, unusual distinctive uh, got its own rich history and tradition but is at least at this point in history um, when the novel is set somewhat hostile to Christianity how do those two cultures interact and that I think is one of the challenges for one of the practical challenges for any Christian in this day and age is to sort of figure out how does their faith work Work in a cultural context. Uh, one way, of course, is to run away from that context and pretend it's not there and to be antagonistic towards it. Another is actually to find some points of connection, and I think Endo helps us a little with that. Yeah, interesting. And I, I've heard reports in, in India of uh, forced conversions back to, to Hinduism for Christians, so uh, that's an interesting development too. What about you, Mark? Yeah, Paul, I would say um, kind of tying into what, what the way Darren ended um, kind of what he what he mentioned on this topic is that uh, it's very interesting when you when you look at a, a piece of literature, you know, to place it in its historical context, which which we do and some of the other essays essayists do, but then to try to understand the ways in which it transcends that particular context. And that's what I think Darren was just uh, suggesting. Right. And for me, one of the really interesting elements of the novel is it, um, the the ubiquity of, of suffering. And there's been um, a lot of kind of Buddhist-Christian uh, dialogue that's been going on. There, there are journals devoted to that. There's a, a lot of a lot of kind of um, interaction. And and uh, the nature of suffering is one of the one of the elements that I take up in uh, in my own essay and, and try to read the transformation of Father Rodriguez through um, what are called in 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 Buddhism the, the the passing sites. These are the the things that the the, the Buddha, who is known as Siddhartha, sees outside his his cloistered palace walls, which are the really the faces of suffering and and kind of cause him to go on his. Uh, quest to understand the nature of, of reality and, and to overcome suffering. And so that's what I conclude my essay with, is, is the various um, faces of suffering and the kind of transformation that brings out. But then the other thing that I think is, is fascinating, and this ties into 
to Darren's comment about the global south and the importance uh, it's it's exerting in kind of in in Christianity today is is the many the many faces of of Christ and so for example uh, Dennis Hirota and some of the other essayists talk about the Japanese preference for uh, a maternal image of of Christ right, and right. I, I talk about um, um, uh, uh, various images of of the face of Christ you mentioned the uh, the blue eyed white mm-hmm. um, image of of Jesus that that uh, Rodriguez comes with but then his um, his understanding of that face changes over over time as he sees this great suffering and so uh, for me suffering is is really an interesting uh, part of this and these these kinds of questions these these moral dilemmas that that uh, the the priest faces that that appear in in many guises in 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 the present and that our students as, as Darren was suggesting have to wrestle with is another uh, part of the novel that I think is really quite compelling yeah, and that's another theme that we didn't talk about, and that is, uh, you know, with Father Fierro's uh, speech about the fact that, you know, each each person, each culture sees uh, or creates God in his own image, and, and that they've never followed Christianity, the Japanese. They they followed their Buddhistic understanding of what a God is, you know, as a, a, a more pure being, if you like, or even as a mother, uh, and you referenced that. But we're out of time. I hope that this has whetted someone's appetite who's listened uh, to this show today to read this wonderful uh, novel, but also to get a hold of a copy of Approaching Silence. Um, and you're going to need it, folks, if you're going to see that movie, you know, because it's going to give you ammunition to uh, truly uh, penetrate into what uh, Martin Scorsese is uh, is going to give us. So this this can only be a good thing. Uh, their their book is published by. Bloomsbury. It'll be available uh, in, in this month. Uh, get a copy. And the, the, the novel, of course, uh, is available wherever uh, books are sold. Um, so get that too. Um, next week, uh, Darren comes back, actually, and joins me, like I said earlier. And we're going to look at art in the Rastafarian tradition. It's got, he's got a new book on that subject, um, which will be a nice change of pace from, from today's fascinating subject, but an equally fascinating one. So uh, join me then. So right now I want to thank uh, Mark and Darren for a, a splendid show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. All right. Take care now. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, to further examine the spiritual teachings and religious traditions of our world and to discover the universal truth principles present in all. World Spirituality, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Unity Church of Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas, celebrating the Christ spirit in all people, online at www.unityfortworth.org.
The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 